every damn time you mention when the man comes around, <laughs> I don't know it well enough. And the only thing my brain will scan to that is when love comes to town, <laughs> which is a very different song. Very different song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fuck it. No intro this week, the listener. This is what you get. <laughs> This is the intro. We're just talking about how great those songs are. I'm kicking it. I well, I mean, I got told uh, thanks thanks to a snafu at the university. It's not a matter of like, yeah, you're an assistant teacher for this half of this class. It's like, no, this class is your entirely responsibility. All well, of you're it. just a teacher now. Yeah, and all the marking and the lesson plans. So this is your first time. Have fun, the listener. So- the listener. <laughs> Next next episode of the Downloadable Concept Podcast, we're going to have a new segment called Ask Professor Talon. Oh, yes! fuck. Yes! Let's have it right now. We don't have any questions. Uh, I have questions. <laughs> I mean, you I are questions. questions. <laughs> he, he's given me a look. I don't think he trusts my questions. Well, I mean, I do. I do. Like, I, while we're talking about what we've done in the past three weeks, I actually watched an anime's. Uh, entirely, yeah. I, I watched Full Metal Alchemist. No, it was Full Metal Alchemist <laughs> Brotherhood. Um, no, oh, okay, Sword Art Online. Is good. <laughs> Sword Art Online made me incredibly angry because I first watched it and went, "This is an MMO." Like I watched uh, someone doing a review of it, and I wasn't really paying attention to what they were saying beyond they're not happy about this anime. And then they showed a bunch of the MMO interface the characters are interacting with, and I just thought it was some of the worst shit. It's like, like if. Imagine, okay, just start by imagining someone made an Oculus Rift game mm-hmm. where to, like, access functionality, you mostly had to look up and you would see a menu at the top of the screen and you press on that menu in your vision and just use it why, like a normal menu. Why else would I have an Oculus Rift if not <laughs> to do exactly that? Well, the, the, the sort of like interface. It's a different pers- perspective. During here. a fight game? Well, well, sorry, an action game, rather. So, with Sword Art Online, um, everything is accessed from the same drop-down menu. Literally everything. So you look up, you click the menu, and then it's like, okay, I want to access my inventory. Inventory, which bag? This bag, this bag, yes. what category of things within this bag? And it's, it's, they show as character goes through 12 menus to drink a potion. And that just seems like, that's the game. Like, that's the challenge of the game. Actually, you know what? Best short version of this, it's an MMO without a quick bar. There is no action bar. <laughs> see, now I'm really curious to see if the games actually play like that. I want, I'm now imagining sometimes Duskers. They sometimes, sometimes they go on sale like dirt cheap on the PS4, so... <laughs> oh, the Sword Art Online games? I've actually not heard criticism of the video games. Yeah, I can only assume they can't because they lack some of the interface functionality that the in-game game is implied to have. Yeah, and, like, the interface in Sword Art Online in the anime can be obscured by your hair or your weight. There's a point where a character is too chubby to notice a section of his menu that's down below his jawline, and it's like, that, what? How is that? I don't know. I think it was a one-shot fat joke. Yeah, I think it was supposed to be hilarious. Yeah, charming stuff. But... On the other hand, the games themselves, I've watched footage of them, and they appear to be fairly high production values and fairly, um, uh, you know, fa- fairly nice-looking JRPG nonsense. So, you know, 
But um, no, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, where I thought this would be a great way to sit down and just do a whole bunch of academic examples of things that everyone interacts with on a day-to-day basis that academics have special words for. Like this could be a Rosetta Stone for a bunch of people of ideas like calcing and and, um, um, intertextuality. And then I thought, and then I'd be running a YouTube channel about anime. Oh no. It's the ball away. You're 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 going in a dark dark place. I'm not sure who has a worse reputation on YouTube commenting. If it's the gamers or the anime fans, but neither yes. are good. <laughs> you just turn off comments. Mm. Nothing pisses them off more than not <laughs> being able to make words at you. Mm. The answer. Anyway, is, of course, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you want to talk yes, about ridiculous MMO channel? bullshit? You want to talk? You want to talk about ridiculous MMO bullshit? I will really have to go in in depth into the the, the lore of Star Ocean sometime. <laughs> I you said something about a billion year old MMO? Yes, our universe is an MMO. All right, superb. I created assume by beings like... from uh, created by beings from the fourth dimension. All right, okay. I played Exalted. Time. I've played Exalted. I've dealt with stuff this silly. <laughs> I'm not lost yet. Take us to the dark places, Jeb. <laughs> when the when the the hyperdimensional cube, which by the way is a sphere, got sent <laughs> back in time in order to, in order to it, the 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 sorcery globe, which was a hyperdimensional orb or cube, which is a sphere, was sent back in time. In order to take the cat people from Earth to a different galaxy, so that humans could cat people, they knew we were just going to fetishize them here. (laughs) To be fair, that's right. We totally would. Absolutely. Well, no, we didn't have humans at the time. Oh, I see. I see. It was clearing space. And then, but all right, uh, (laughs) the sphere cube. (laughs) Keep in mind, this is all within the MMO. Man, and then. Eventually, eventually, the cube sphere uh, goes four-dimensional and allows the characters from the MMO to become real. All right. In the fourth dimension. This is nonsense. Like, this but is, when this they're, is clearly... But, 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 when they're in the fourth dimension and out of the MMO, they're still in the MMO in the fourth dimension, which is out of the MMO. You know, I'm beginning to think the people who wrote this weren't very smart. I don't know, it doesn't sound like it makes less sense than normal quantum physics. <laughs> oh, um, and the listener, that was Jeb. We'll just break, Hi. we'll just do, we'll just smear the whole <laughs> intro out all the way through the whole thing. Yeah. We'll just kind of make it happen. Yeah, it'll, we'll get to it eventually. We actually got a glowing review this week <gasps> from someone saying that they listened to us for three hours in their car and didn't regret it. <laughs> For us, that's good. Yeah, that's real good. See, I had more of an I regret nothing, which is a ringing endorsement. <laughs> what do you know of regrets? <laughs> so uh, Regrets I've had a few, but then, again, too few to mention. Now, unbelievably for myself, we have, we've been off for three weeks, during which I cannot think of a single video game I played. I've, I've been up to my ears in board games and card games and stuff. I've been, you know, dealing with marking, and by the way, some of my students' stuff, I'm not, I'm not gonna, like, tell you all about it, but some of the stuff my students are coming up with fucking owns. It's so funny. 
Um, so what you're saying I, is you're doomed. Oh, as a, I, I'm, I'm going to be outmoded by young people well before I'm outmoded by robots in full gay space communism. Yeah, but um, it's I understand. Time Fox, for you to start complaining about millennials. You know, I found out by at, by the academic definition outlaid in the paper that coined the term millennials, which, by the way, the people who wrote are now millionaires because fuck nothing's fair, but they consider anyone born after 1980, which means according mm-hmm. to them, Jeb and I are millennials. Yep. And me. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, just like, yeah, we're, we're the uh, us. It is kind of ignoring that our generation only barely grew up on the internet. Like, we got on the internet during our lives. And for that matter, <laughs> the definition of millennial is so extended, it means that there are now millennials with millennials ch- as children. So yeah. Th- this term is not useful. It just means young people. It just means younger than you, granddad. Pretty much. I mean, we could have 10-year-olds by now. Hmm. Hell, if we'd started early, we could have like a 16-year-old. That's a creepy thought. Let's yep. never do it. <laughs> Kids, I'm, I'm, I'm well, not in the market. Well, you didn't do it, so I mean, no. you can't really not now. <laughs> yes. Time doesn't unless work you, that way. Unless you go outside well, of the MMO. Yes. And <laughs> with the sphere cube. <laughs> There is, was there like a web service called Cube for a very long time there? Mm-hmm. By the way, the thing I love about doing these no edit, ah, fuck it, that'll do versions of the podcast, <laughs> I don't have to look at lines like getting out of the MMO and now realize I can't cut that without cutting this. No, it's all just going in. <laughs> Please, let's no one yeah. bring... Oh! Well, that's talent, the by the way. Go on, Jeff. <laughs> I, was just, I was just saying that's part of the fun for us is is making it so that you can't remove the bullshit we talk about. It's true. It's true. That whole bull semen thing. <laughs> I was so close to trying to strip out the entirety of the bull semen anecdote from the podcast in the edit, and then I realized that Jeb and Fox both reference it later in yep. different ways. That cutting it would involve cutting other things. It was it was a nightmare, and that's why everyone and that's why the listener got the whole bull semen conversation. That was that retro gaming you, news sponsor, wasn't it? Yes. <laughs> You have to. You realize you that can't leave the sponsor out of the podcast, Talon. You have to. You, you do realize that one of the tags for this episode is now going to be stripping out the bull semen. <laughs> in um oh oh oh, here's the thing about video games in class. We watched uh, Rise of the Indies as a documentary for the kids. For the kids, they're, they're twenty years old. What the kids. fuck am I saying? <laughs> for the kids. Oh, oh god, he's becoming an anti-millennial. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we watched uh, Rise of the Indies, and Rise of the Indies is now about four or five years old. And the thing with Rise of the Indies is, <laughs> you can now look at everyone in that and look at them in terms of what they've done since. So, for example, they have the creator of the Stanley Parable getting up and commenting offhandedly, like as a one-shot line. He's like, "I'm really afraid that success is going to give me an anxiety disorder." And then he, the next thing he made was. And the Beginner's guy. The, the, the beginner's guide, which shows that that definitely did not happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the beginner's guide. It's it's a fun, wacky romp by the author of the yeah. Stanley Parable. It's definitely not a slow descent into madness. Um, we also watched as Christine Love um, said again offhandedly, "I'm hoping to do something more lighthearted for my next game." Oh and God, was this after? This is after this Hate is Plus. Before, yeah, it was after Lady Hate Killer Plus. Okay. Yeah, this is before Lady Killer in a Bind, which I believe the award-winning point... Lady Killer in the Blind. <laughs> yes, which I believe at one point she described on Twitter as like an excuse to get artists to send me pictures of tits. 
<laughs> you know what? Most artists will just send you pictures of tits for money, and that's all. Yeah. They're really, like, they don't need an excuse. Mm-hmm. Well, artists who will send you tits in any circumstance. Um, the other thing that came up was uh, Tale of Tales are in Rise of the Indies. Oh, fuck them. <laughs> are you allowed to talk? You are allowed to talk I'm about allowed- them yet. Cool, cool, cool. All right. And they were showing off Luxurious Superbia, that clearly genre-defining art game that isn't at all about licking a vagina. <laughs> it, I mean, it is absolutely an orgasm simulator. Yeah, yeah. And, and watching them get up and giggle and, and nudge each other when they got the award felt of course. really gross. <laughs> really gross. Yeah, like that could almost be interesting, but at the point where the creators giggle about it, that mm-hmm. you shattered the illusion. Yep, yep. I was gonna, I was gonna say that as far as Tales of Tales games goes, that Lux- luxurious superbia is probably their best. Yeah, it's not awful, but then but they what... had to go be weird about it. Yep. And the thing is, when I was giving this rundown to my students after the documentary ended, I said, these are the things you can look up. These are the things <laughs> they've done since. Someone asked, what about the people with the vagina game? And by the way, I didn't bring up the fact that the game looked like a vagina. This student <laughs> brought up the fact that the game looked like a vagina. Well, said, what a- they're said, not yeah, what- trying to hide it. No, they're not. And one of the one of the students went, what about the vagina game people? What did they do next? And I went, well, there was a game called Sunset. <laughs> the next 10 minutes were kind of a blur. Um... Anyway, uh, also, also in Rise of the Indies is Rami. After I finished finished scrubbing the blood off the walls. (laughs) But also in Rise of the Indies is Rami, and every time I watch Rami in anything, I'm, I'm just struck by how great a guy he seems to be. Like, I really (laughs) hope that there's no, no, no shoe drop moment, because I'm just bracing for that kind of stuff in reality all the time, but he just appears to be the sweetest goddamn guy. He basically Mm -hmm. lives out of a suitcase. Well, yeah, he's scrubbing all over the world constantly. Mm. And do you scrub the blood off the walls with a warm touch? What the shit? <laughs> For, we're talking about Sunset. Oh, God. Oh, that fucking game. That fucking game. <clears throat> hey, Vox, what have you been playing these past three weeks? <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, look, I, I've been playing nothing the past week because I've been working on game art again. And I seem to be kind of all or nothing in this respect. <laughs> Like, By the way, your deal's fun. done. No, you can't have nice things. We know you won't do the work. <laughs> yeah, that's me. And with the rest of the time, brother of the world. Like, obviously. <laughs> I uh, I started getting hearts. Started increasing my hearts. Because I ran out of stamina. <laughs> <laughs> can't increase stamina anymore. Stamina is done. I have more stamina than God. Stamina seems like the only useful stat in that game. <laughs> That's kind of true. Like, granted, I I've mean, only done Victoria Island, so I don't know. <laughs> I look once you get a shitload of hearts, it makes a difference. But in the early game, certainly, there's no damn difference between having like three hearts and having seven hearts. Everything kills you in one hit anyway. <laughs> it's fucking matter. Just don't get hit. Move correctly. You don't have much of the choice. Do not die. Well, you could use shields also, but, you know, they're not super reliable because the early game ones are all really crap and they break straight away, so it's also easier to just and they're also... learn to dodge. <laughs> and also, they're not sledgehammers. They are not sledgehammers. It's <laughs> a crucial flaw. Guess what sold me on Breath of the Wild when I started playing it? Um, it was when I picked mm... up a sledgehammer. <laughs> Jeff has an appreciation for things that bust drywall. <laughs> 
It is a little unfortunate that the sledgehammer, you never get, like, a big hammer version of it that's actually for combat. Aww. They're still super useful because you can use them to mine for things without having to use explosives. Um, you, I just, using explosives for mining tends to get important things dropped in the lake, is all I'm saying. <laughs> what the fuck is this game? Better for everyone if you just hit it with a hammer and pick it up like a sensible person. Yeah. But hammers break. Ah. Um, yeah. I give people have very, uh, pronounced feelings about the weapon degradation in Breath of the Wild, don't they? Uh, mm-hmm. my feeling is it's exactly in that sweet spot where I, I don't want to use my best weapons cause they'll break, but that just means I'm carrying a massive pile of weapons around at all times cause I'm too afraid to use them. So it's kind of in the worst possible place <laughs> for me. Sorry, when you described it as a sweet spot, I'm like, really? I've heard you complain about this a lot. <laughs> I don't know what you call a sweet spot for badness. <laughs> a bitter junction. Ooh, <laughs> fine. The weapon degradation sits at a bitter junction for fun. No, it just sounds vaguely suggestive now. Oh, now you just ruined my OK Cupid profile name. <laughs> <laughs> Please do not bite anyone's junction. How about picking up a sledgehammer with your OK What's Cupid profile name? If they have permission, then. <laughs> but yes, Jib. Yeah, what? You've been playing any video games aside from Star Wars? Uh, remember how? Uh, remember uh, how? Last time we recorded an episode, I, I said I was uh, playing a preview of um, Mass Effect Andromeda. Yeah, and the, the start of it was really bad. Yeah, yeah. The last three weeks, I've been doing nothing but playing fucking Mass Effect Andromeda. <laughs> so only Jesus the Christ, start of it is bad. Is- Good. Only the start of it is bad. The rest of it is really good. Huh. This bears out with what I've heard. There are times when it takes that... Because I've heard a lot of people say that that Mass Effect, when it's doing its Mass Effectiness, really Mass Effectly, is kind of like Star Trek. Mm -hmm. You'll have to unwrap that one for me? I I can't, because I don't know what Star Trek is like. (laughs) But that's what I've heard people say. Shit! We, We somehow found a podcast with three nerds on it who deliberately picked each other... To make sure that we all had areas of expertise and we could cover each other's holes in knowledge, and none of us know Star Trek. Oh, <laughs> oh honey, cover each other's holes in knowledge. Well, Definitely, Mayo kick you for <laughs> Regardless, if if Mass Effect, the, the the original Mass Effect trilogy was Star Wars, this is kind of Red Dwarf. <laughs> wow. Okay, that is not what I was expecting. <laughs> It gets genuinely funny at times. Woo! Part of it is because, and this is another pair of comparisons to be made, which I do actually like understand. Um, <coughs> if 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 Commander Shepard was like Zap Brannigan, then Pathfinder Rider is like Kiff, because Pathfinder <laughs> Rider is this awkward nerdy dork, <laughs> and it's Wonderful. amazing. The, the the way that the way that the way that they flirt with other people is based like instead of you have you know how Shepard often had these really good lines for for flirting with the the, the crew members yeah. and whatnot because it's a Bioware game yeah Riders Riders is like I I think you're cute and I really like you okay bye <laughs> might be a Mass Effect and? you might actually enjoy playing as a boy character Talon yes Jeb. <laughs> And, and, Ryder comes com- comes complete with terrible, terrible puns. 
Oh no. <laughs> goes to an ice planet. Gets introduced to someone there. Says, oh, what a, thanks for the warm welcome. <laughs> Utter silence. Sorry, just trying to break the ice. No! <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, that hurts even as an anecdote. One of your one of your companions, one of your party members, is a Krogan grandpa. <laughs> what is this character's name? <laughs> Drac. Because I can now only imagine calling this character Grandpa. Grandpa <laughs> Drac. And he is, of course, fantastic. I do the the, the he will Krogan share, characters. He will share. He will share his his war stories with you his, from from old times as a merc back in the Milky Way, like like how people are usually afraid of being on fire. <laughs> I, the various Krogan characters are absolutely a thousand percent my favorite thing about all Mass Effect so far. <laughs> because it was on fire. Keep up, Shepard. <laughs> Well, Drac Drac will tell you the story about the the time that he uh, charged into a Merc Merc bunker and found out why <laughs> why only why sometimes people are really afraid of fire. <laughs> Wonderful. I I will say that uh, of course like there are still a whole mess of like graphical issues with it because you oh. know they're, they're they're but the the Frostbite engine is really good for giving you pretty vistas. It's not so good with character lighting. Yeah. But if you're able to, you know, okay, this is what it looks like. Okay, I mean, Bioware games have never been able to draw human beings well. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> anything Let's really close look great. to human beings. See, that's a callback to a section in the last episode that I cut. You cut that? <laughs> now you see there is nothing in the podcast that I do not control. Well, actually, no, there is now. There's a ton of stuff I don't control, because Jeff's the one who does the actual yeah. um, post about it. I'm the one who does the, 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 the publishing. Yeah. Next thing I'm going to get is a, just a let's go fuckers, I'm sure. I, no, I'm just, I'm just contemplating a... my powers as the person who actually owns the server. <laughs> <laughs> I well, <am> God. <laughs> What's a king to a god? Don't fuck with me. I meddle with WordPress for a living. It seems that we're running a detachment on the blog that changes all placements of the name Talon with fuckface. I, uh, can we fix that? No, working is intended. Works on my machine. It's just replacing my user icon with the words dick soup. <laughs> dick soup burrito. Now that's a callback to nothing. Yeah, that's a shout out to the soup burrito narrative. This makes the soup burrito into a transmedia narrative form, and now you've got to partake in multiple places to get the whole story. Woo! Anyway. Sounds like the world's worst <laughs> ARG. It's just replaced my user icon with a soup burrito? <laughs> Sorry, the world's worst ARG. A friend. No, saw that online. No, 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 no. A friend actually commented uh, to me, she's ex Mormon, and she said, trust me, Mormonism is like the world's worst ARG. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> like, no disrespect meant to anyone who's actually in the faith right now, but ooh, wow, that line. <laughs> Fantastic. It's yeah. a good one. It's a good one. It's a really good one. When you're doing the Mass Effect stuff in Mass Effect Andromeda, it's great. When you're meeting to meeting people and you're exploring 
different planets and going through space and looking for, for, for leads on whatever mission you're pursuing. When it's doing that stuff, it's really good. And then they added Dragon, Dragon Age Inquisition on top of it. Hmm. Means that I haven't done really anything else. Like, I've recently <laughs> managed to find a copy of Breath of the Wild, and all I've done is play the tutorial island. Yeah. <laughs> Makes sense, because they gave you two two games you like in one box. Yeah. <laughs> Mass Effect Andromeda is actually pretty good. And the multiplayer is, is, is alright, because it's all right. Mass Effect multiplayer. Still they, running on a gacha type system. Mm-hmm. Jetpacks are cool. Jetpacks do improve but lo- almost everything. But luckily, the first bo- but luckily, the first booster I opened, one of the complimentary ones I got with the game, gave me a Krogan engineer. Yes. Hey. Yes. She is awesome. <laughs> yes. What more do you need than a character who can handle explosives and ignore the side effects of handling explosives? <laughs> a mighty help. <laughs> All right then. <clears throat> Now it's time for Retro Gaming News. All the news that's fit to print for the year of 1995. Brought to you by our exciting new segment, Ask Professor Dick Soup. 1995. What was the hardware landscape like in 1995? Well, that was a year of Super Nintendo. Well, this big old list has the following abbreviations in it. I'm guessing the PS1 was just in time to just come and sit on top of everything else that was there. Well, I yes, the PlayStation the 1. The PS1 can't. Yep. You have releases this year for the Commodore Amiga, MS-DOS, the Game Boy, Neo Geo, Neo Geo CD, PlayStation, Sega Saturn, the Sega Genesis slash Mega Drive, the Sega Mega CD, the Sega 32X. My God, right. Sega, what the fuck? Um, the SNES. You may have noticed this didn't work out too well for them. True. The Microsoft Windows, the 3DO, the Lynx, and the Jaguar. <laughs> oh, God, all those consoles. Yeah. Bear in mind, this is not this is not the year that a crash happened. This this like the market was pretty goddamn bloated, but yeah. This is the year that a crash could have happened. Yeah, I absolutely believe that. Yeah, it's uh I guess it was a crash. I mean most of those names did not proceed. I wanna say by the like the year after that, a couple of those fell off the radar. (laughs) Probably. But Worth noting is that this is 1995, the year that Windows released, sorry, Microsoft released Windows 95 and DirectX and sloughed a ton of money into the games industry to prop up themselves as a gaming platform, which is the same thing they did with the Xbox. So this effectively probably would, like, if you're looking at the arc of was there a crash coming with the market this bloated, it might well have just been saved by Microsoft dumping money into the economy. I mean, maybe. Possibly. I'm not. I'm not sure of that. Yeah. It just seems like a possible arc. That certainly is entering into a golden age of PC gaming. Yeah, good point. Hmm. But you also get the. You also have the the PlayStation coming in. in. Yeah, the place and the PlayStation broadened the market for games in general. It got a lot of people who had no interest in being, as it were, gamers into games. All right then. And that worked out great. <laughs> to be fair, the people who stood around going, "These people aren't gamers. They weren't into games." They also turned out to be a highly co- high co- high concentration of shitlords there as well. All right then. So first up, we have a game by um, 
Tamsoft and Dream... Oh, Dream Factory for the Wii release. That doesn't count. Uh, published by Takara, Sia, Sega, and Nintendo. Again, the Nintendo got involved for the Wii release of this game, which pledged that it was the first fully 3D fighting game and helpfully Wikipedia virtual notes that fighter? it was... Not Virtual Fighter. Wikipedia helpfully notes that it was one of the first fully 3D fighting games. It also claimed that it was a Saturn killer against Sega's Virtual Fighter. And then very quickly Wait, it was ported to the Saturn... Stuff? It was pub. It was published by Sega when they got it ported to the Saturn. It got wow. Yeah. Okay. Battle yeah, Arena but who Toshinden? knows about Saturn ports? Jeb's right. It's Battle Arena to Shinden. Nice, Jeb. And the cover art looks Game like ass. It's <laughs> another one where the they whole did. The game looked like ass. <laughs> Another one where they did god awful yeah. realistic human art on the cover. No, it, it's much no. more in your it's much more in your um, slightly shit deviant art genre of art. Oh god! Like, you, can you lean around uh, and see that? Battle Arena, Arena, Toshinden is the the game that they're the, like the 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 title the 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 main feature characters are the are Sophia are Sophia who has the whip. And mm-hmm. uh, she was featured prominently in the the advertising, You're and then insane. like the the other kind of the other kind of like hero character of it was uh, Kyan, uh the the Scottish boy. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, for for it very for a very confused period of time, um, there was a debate amongst gaming publications as to. Whether Toshinden or another fighting game on the PlayStation was the was the one to get. Um, the people who said it was Toshinden were wrong. <laughs> the other one was Tekken. <laughs> that was gonna be my next guess. Mm-hmm. Next up, we have a game released by the Taito Corporation, which has been re-released almost constantly since then. <clears throat> Uh, and therefore has exists on the platforms of Arcade, Neo Geo, 3DO Interactive Multiplayer, the Neo Geo CD, the Game Gear, the SNES, the Wonder Swan, <laughs> and then it got a bunch of derivations and, and sequels that got released on everything else. Um, this game is a puzzle game based on a 1986 arcade game. Bomberman? No. No. Uh, well, it, it was known as Buster Move in North America. Yeah. Yeah. This was Puzzle Bobble. Yeah. Yeah. A- these are good games. I don't really have anything to say about Puzzle Bobble. It's, it's I like it. It's really good. That actual one has it's been released uh, constantly, or they've made more. Puzzle Bobble One, Buster Move One, uh, has been really was basically being released constantly from 1994 through to the death of the Wonder Swan, and its sequels have been released ever since. <laughs> Who knows what year that was? <laughs> Who knows shit about the Wonder Swan? <laughs> Next up, we have the first video game appearance of expanded Star Wars universe character Kyle Katarn. Hmm, is that KOTOR 1? No. No, this is a first-person no. shooter. It's, uh... Oh, Christ. Dark Forces. Yeah, it was Dark Forces. The first Star Wars game which promised to put you in the seat and the control of a Star Wars character with no Force powers and no lightsabers. Six Dark fair, Forces 2. I have only ever wanted to play Star Wars characters with no Force powers and no lightsabers. Yep. In fact, I have a history of these. They generally involve those vibrating chainsaws. You're a scruffy nerf herder. I yes, that that is my Star Wars aesthetic. <laughs> 
Scruffy looking. The, the sequel to not the, actually the sequel Scruffy. To Dark Forces. Just Scruffy looking. Uh, gave you gave you the Force powers and lightsaber fun because that was of course uh, Star Wars Dark Forces Two Jedi Knight. <laughs> Here we go. Which itself had a sequel, uh, which yes. was uh, when when Kyle Katarn was outcast from the Jedi. Uh, <laughs> it was Star Wars Dark Forces Two. Jedi Knight 2, Jedi Outcast. Or was, it Jedi, wait, was it Jedi Academy? Or Academy was Jedi is the sequel Academy? to Outcast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I wasn't okay. sure if it was Outcast and Academy. Or Acad- no, so you're right. After that, you had Star Wars, Dark Force 2, Jedi Knight 2, Jedi Outcast 2, Jedi Academy. A Kyle Katan game. <laughs> Are you fucking shitting me? <laughs> no! <laughs> I'm not like, joking. Yeah, this these is games a... was considered the two to the previous one, and also all these games were on a fairly consistent slope upwards. They were all pretty much better than the one that came before they them. Were, yeah, but just fucking pick a title, you assholes. Yeah, well, Dark well, Forces I mean, one, like, like they didn't have, they didn't have like the official title like I described it. It was Dark Forces, and then there was Dark Forces Two Jedi Knight. Then there was Jedi Knight Two. Jedi Outcast, that it was Jedi Outcast 2, Jedi Academy. But that still means that you had Dark Star Wars Dark Forces 2, Jedi Knight 2, Jedi Outcast 2, Jedi Academy. <laughs> yeah, it's like a, it's like a tiered thing, because now that, what, there's like four Jedi Knight games, but only three Jedi Outcast games. Adding, adding to this complexity is that ah. there's an expansion pack for Jedi Knight 2, which were the Mara Jade Chronicles. And there was a discussion about whether Jedi Outcast 2 could have an expansion pack with Mara Jade in them, and that would be Mara Jade Chronicles 2, which would not, in fact, follow on directly from Mara Jade Chronicles 1. Oh, they can eat my entire arm! <laughs> <laughs> Next up... All three of them. We have a... I can, I can just flat out give you the Japanese name of this game. Uh, uh, Risuta's a Shooting Star. Got anything? Got anything at all? Is that a Kirby game? No. <laughs> um, this was a Sega Saturn game. Oh. Oh wait, no. Uh, it was a Sega Genesis game by Sonic Team, no less. It Sonic was oh, Ristar. Ristar, yes. I've I've never heard this. I've never heard of this at all. I've oh, never yeah, seen so, this character so before. Definitely never played it. Two D mascot platformer where you have your playing as a dude who's a star and he runs around, and he swings around on his arm with his arms, and it's a it's a 2D mascot platformer on the Genesis by Sonic team. Uh, what do you I want? Can't say, I can't say whether it was a good or a bad game, but they only had one good mascot design in them, really. Rystar does look like he's wearing a bit of a Sonic costume, so... Anyway... Rystar is fine. You know, put him in the pile with the rest of them. Next up, we have a tactical role-playing game developed by G-Craft and published by Squaresoft, released in Japan on February 24, 1995 for the Super Famicom. It's the first main entry and the first entry overall in its series. It's part of a serialized storyline that follows the story of various characters in their struggles involving Mecha, known as Vanzas. A direct port of the game was released for the Wonderswan Color. Yes, it's Front Mission. I don't know a goddamn thing about this. I've heard Front about it. really fucking good. Aha! Uh-huh. When it's a strategy role-playing game. Because, uh, like, the screenshots, this looks like extremely my jam. They make it into something else. Well, eventually they made it into a third-person shooter. Oh, yeah. goddammit. Let me guess, Front Mission of all This tactical game about... Yes. Uh, uh, this, this this tactical game about uh, carefully... Uh, cust- oh, first of all, it has full mecha customization. 
Nice. You know, if you're into that kind of thing in your tactical role-playing games. Mm -hmm. And uh, some of them even have hugely divergent storylines. I want to say Front Mission 3 had literally you had literally had you making one choice early on in the game that basically sent you playing on one or two completely different stories, depending on which side of the war you wound up on. Oh, it's Fire Emblem Fates. Mm. Just, you know, how many years beforehand? Just the artist for this one is Amano. Amano doing a mech series? Yeah. What the hell? Mm-hmm. I'm definitely curious. Yeah, this is this looks really weird. Um, Front Mission is really good. It also wasn't it released in English until a DS port in 2007. So, yep. strike while the iron's gone, I guess. <laughs> we have machines that can play that. Mm. Whew. Uh, is this is that actually? Huh. Okay. Next up, we have a. I guess it's a rail. Well, it's a rail shooter. It is a rail shooter video game developed by Team Andromeda and released on Panzer the Dragon? Saturn. Yeah, it's Panzer Dragoon. That's a rail shooter. It's a rail shooter. Huh. Um. Yeah. Uh. Panzer Dragoon One is buying it new. Buying a, a, a fresh copy of it is something that just two hundred dollars. Panzer Dragoon Two has as a uh, with a cheat code the entire first game in it. And the second game is like 40 bucks. How the hell is the first one 200 bucks? Because collectors are very strange people and I don't understand them. Sorry, Jeb. Harder to come by. Yeah. Next up, we have the biggest Uh, data-wise. By the way, it goes without saying, Panzer Dragoon was one of the must-have Saturn games. Mm. This is why I figured about it. Panzer Dragoon is excellent. This is why I figured this would be a good year to do, because this is effectively archaeology into the twilight of the SNES and the rise of the Saturn, and Jeb knows shit about the Saturn that I... What was the Saturn? It didn't arrive here until it was dead. Pretty much, though, ironically, it's the only Sega console I ever saw advertising for. Hmm. That's, like, that's just a sad story. Next up, we have the largest data-wise video game ever released on the Super Famicom. This is the biggest In what country? Uh, this this game was this game was released in America and in um, sorry this was released in, the, in in all markets at roughly the same time. Uh, oh, it had an international release March 11, 1995. All plat all 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 regions at once. I want to say it's going to be one of those late period JRPGs like Terra Enigma. You're close. You're definitely close. Certainly about the um, um, go on, Jeb. Is, is is she right about the genre? Close. It is is definitely an RPG. Um, the directors. Is it? The three directors. Holy shit. Uh, Takashi Tokita. Is it uh, it's Chrono Trigger, yeah. I, oh. If I tell you a goddamn thing about that game, it gives it away immediately. <laughs> yep. You had me thinking specifically RPG, not JRPG, because you said definitely an RPG. Mm-hmm. And close. Mm. Well, How is Chrono Trigger anything but a JRPG? Well, no, no, no. You like Terra Enigma. And I'm like, oh, it's, it's very close to Terra Enigma because the same visual aesthetic, the big chunky style, the free movement, they're related. They're definitely, in my mind, related. Um, yeah, when Jeb said, uh, did you get the genre, you said close. Yeah, well, you said action RPG. No, I didn't. Oh, okay, you my said bad. said JRPG. My bad, my bad. Um, that said, of course, also involved in, in Chrono Trigger were the artist Akira Toriyama and the composer Nobuo Umatsu. So, yeah. <laughs> There is a reason JRPG fans talk about this thing as if it's basically a thoroughbred. This this game is not just good. The people who made this game are all remarkable people. I hate the character push. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's also a bit of a, a story yeah, about that aside. Like that, the like Chrono Trigger is outstanding. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I, I sorry, I didn't even think we needed to say that. <laughs> 
<laughs> Literally goes without saying. Well, you never know. There might there might be something. Might, the listener might not have. Oh, I've never heard of Chrono Trigger. I wonder if that's any good. Sure. Listener, play Chrono Trigger. I mean, there's always the distinct possibility not, that it, this podcast will be listened to by wee babies at some point in the future. Mm. And they may not have had the chance to Chrono Trigger yet. So they should. Uh, Chrono, Chrono Trigger, uh, first of all, Chrono Trigger is short. Mm. And that's good. Because you don't have to spend like 70 hours playing it. You can. You certainly can. You can if you want. So but you can you can get through the, the story pretty handily, pretty easily in Chrono Trigger <laughs> in about... 50 hours. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm completely on Jeb's side on this one. He's right. It's You don't think of it as a short game because it has all the side quests so in the world. Great. I, for, I, I was laughing. And you're never because, not doing something. Like, yeah, you can finish it really quickly. <laughs> yeah, speedruns of Chrono Trigger are embarrassing. Thing is, you, but the other, the other thing is, though, that you're never, because it's short, you're never not doing something. Yeah. In in a lot of ways, there, there um, is very very minimal downtime in Chrono Trigger. That's fair. And that is yeah, one of the most incredible things about it. Lacks for a lot of that filler crap. That that was what I was going to go on to say. If you're the kind of person who's on the edge about JRPGs, you know you've never found one you really liked. Chrono Trigger is probably one of the best examples of an approachable JRPG, which still has all the things in it that JRPG fans tend to love. So if you're looking for something to give a try, it's available on the DS. It's one of one of the best games. You can just like play a bit, flip it close, play a bit, flip it close kind of game. It's really good for that. Do give Chrono Trigger a chance. And the character portraits are butt ugly, but you don't have to look at them very often. That's true. So next up, because otherwise this will become Chrono Trigger the podcast, because we, we will <laughs> what, go What else all... do you say about Chrono Trigger? <laughs> Everything you want to. I like that little blood caveman. He was a cutie. Kino. Yes. Um, <laughs> next up, we have a... Jesus Christ, how do you how do you describe this? So this also, game also holy shit, Square released Chrono Trigger and Front Mission in the same fucking year. It gets better, man. Nineteen ninety five is a good year to be a Square investor, I'll just say. Um next up we have a game that was released in Japan, um, and then they figured that they could release it in the West, but Westerners wouldn't buy it unless it had something to make them realize that this is a video game and it's fun. So they rebranded it as a Mario game and re-released it in Japan so they could re-re-release it in the West. The actual game itself is a simple puzzle game. So simple a puzzle game, it showed up in other games as a sub-game. Like a Dr. Mario? Uh, you're close. It is, it is, it's definitely a, a puzzle game that got branded so with Mario. Is it like Mario. a Mario Tetris or something? It, Mario Picross. Oh, Picross. Yeah. Oh. Where there was, it was just a game called um, Picross Puzzles in Japan at first. And then they were like, we should sell this everywhere. This is great. Well, the thing about Picross is it's a lot more fun if you have pictures of things you actually like. Mm-hmm. Like, I've played generic versions as well where it's like, oh, a sailboat. Oh, a cat. But that's nowhere near as cool as like, hey, I recognize it's, you know, Celebi. Hey, cool. So, next up. We have, so now we're onto the PC platform here. We have a game that was loud at the time for what was referred to as portal technology. It was lauded for the technical achievement of True 3D and True Freedom of Movement. It was released by Interplay, developed by Parallax Software. Um, it was going to be port to the PlayStation, but... Sorry, no, it was ported to the PlayStation. There was going to be a port for the Sega Saturn and the Panasonic M2, but they were cancelled. Um, it was... It was... This, this is a game that had a lot of diehard fans, and that means, unfortunately, there's a lot 
of bad blood going around, particularly between Interplay, what's left of it, Parallax Software, what's left of it, and the fan base, what's left of it. This game was on GOG up until 2015 when it got yanked because of a dispute between the people involved. Ah. Um, this game has had multiple sequels. This game had uh, a prequel that was funded on Kickstarter for $600,000, though good fucking luck. Um, Kickstarter prequel yep and in this game oh, you are playing descent? a little spaceship descent yes yeah descent is amazing the history like the political background of what the fuck was going on here is amazing there are so many people who kind of own chunks of descent and they wanted to make a full <laughs> they wanted to make a full modern descent like game for six hundred thousand dollars over two years oh, i see your point I do. Oh my goodness. Well, I mean, I I hear you talking about it, but I don't know anything about the sense visual style or anything. Mm. So, you know, that could be easily six hundred thousand dollarable. I wouldn't know. In nineteen ninety five, Descent looked a lot like a quake. Well, that also could have been that was one of the one of the kickstarters that need we need we need this much money to get us over the finish line. That's true. It could have been that. Um, also true. I don't know. There's a lot of um, ambiguity and acrimony around the Kickstarter, as there almost always is for any project of a large sure, size. Sure, yeah. But, yeah, I, I wouldn't trust anything I randomly Googled about it in the 30 seconds of research I had to do on this, so... Nobody likes it when the Kickstarter they backed probably can't be completed. And if you add the extra layer of, because some fuck got antsy about copyright, yeah. then, yeah. Also, it appears that the Kickstarter led to the conversation that led to them being pulled from GOG. So you can also point uh. to the idea that, yeah, yeah, exactly. You might be able to make the case that <laughs> the Kickstarter terrible. got the attention of Interplay as to how much money they weren't having and blah, blah, blah. I say Interplay like that's exactly the same entity these days, but whatever. Um, <laughs> whatever like fucking miserly fucking copyright lawyer bastard who's responsible for bitching about copyright on Interplay's behalf. Yeah. How about that? Um, so next up we have a Game Boy game. And I I don't want to describe this game because the cover is just so delightful. Describe the, the cover. Okay. The hero is riding on the back of a giant hamster that's running through a field. Oh, is, is this Kirby? It's Kirby. Yeah. And there's a fish chasing them. <laughs> <laughs> that hamster is pretty cute. <laughs> it's Kirby's Dreamland too. It's Rick, I think. <laughs> I believe the hamster's name is Rick. That is wonderful. I you learn a lot of trivia from collecting shit in Smash Brothers. I'll say that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Cause now you describe him as Rick. It makes me imagine that, like, yeah, the the hamster's got like a day job. He's a trucker or something. Like <laughs> a trucker that, named Rick. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the hamster's got like, yeah, yeah. This is real nice, Kirby. But I got to get to bed. I got to get to work in the morning. Man. So you said you said trucker, and went, but when you said day job, I thought of the hamster in a little suit with a little hat and a little briefcase, <laughs> tiny little coffee. My version is definitely better. <laughs> day trader. Yeah, day trader Rick. <laughs> Next up, he's a responsible salaryman. Oh, uh, by the way, all the Kirby games on the Game Boy are pretty good. I there's there's nothing to say. All about. the Kirby games, period, are pretty good. Like, yeah, Kirby just makes good. You know, a lot of them aren't necessarily amazing if you don't especially like Kirby. But yeah, but they're all there aren't any real turkeys in the Kirby oeuvre. 
If there are, there are probably some obscure weirdo thing that no one knows about. Speaking of a franchise that may have had a turkey or two, but only once they went to Kickstarter, um, <laughs> we have a game developed by Capcom. Actual oh, Kickstarter? No. no, it's not Banjo-Kazooie. Actual Kickstarter or, you know, Kickstarter in the image of, but it's totally not the same thing, you guys. This is very legal. Uh, what's, the, what's the Mega Man? This is Mega Man 7, yeah. Sure, okay. <laughs> I'm going with that then. Because as I understand it, because I understand it, all the Mega Mans that are um, actually on a console are actually pretty good. I don't think there's any turkeys no, there either. No, um, we started watching a speed run of one the other night. Remember? Oh, oh yeah. I I had not previously seen how bad the 64 Mega Man. That's right. It's a 3D not platformer. <laughs> Boxy maze fucking thing. Where you occasionally shoot things. Very Mega Man. Oh my god. There are a lot of bad there are a lot <laughs> of bad Mega Man games and they kind of start with seven. <laughs> Next up we have a game where a man who now, provides the one that gives the soccer ball and has clown man. A soccer ball and a clown man. Did I hear that I correctly? That the worst. Yeah. Yes. Right yo. <laughs> so next up we have a game where one member of the development team has licensed one sound effect they put in the game that was never supposed to be in the game, and they now get paid because every game has to feature that sound effect. <laughs> yeah, I had to go kind of obscure. It's a full motion video. Sorry, no, it's not a full motion video. It's mo and it's not motion capture either. It's that it's that we made we made sprites out of people's movements. Uh, um, but they didn't actually do makeup. No, it's not rotoscoped. It's, it, I get the impression it is like photographing people in doofy ass outfits. Um, oh god, it, like there was a ton of this genre because of this game's franchise. In fact, it's it Mortal Kombat then. It's Mortal Kombat three. Okay. Yeah. Um. The the sound guy who's responsible. Oh, digitized for actors. They digitized actors. Thank you. Thank you, Jeb. Oh, I'm gonna call it paint over sprites. Mm. <clears throat> Talk about Ghosty. Yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, what just got said? <laughs> Go on, Jeb. Explain this. Ghosty. <laughs> uh, sometimes when you when you do a particularly devastating maneuver in Mortal Kombat 1, uh, Ed Boon would appear on the screen and go, Dusty! It wasn't meant to happen. I think it, it was, was Ed Boon who was one of it. Was either, it was either Ed Boon or John Tobias. It's one of them. Uh, and, yeah, uh, I yeah. I don't remember which one. And now every Listener, Mortal Kombat if you're listening, you probably can tell us. Mortal Kombat is always really interesting Ooh, because, like wrestling and sports, it's one of those things that is just completely <laughs> outside my field of vision. I know Mortal Kombat existed, but I took one, you know, 12-year-old Fox took one look at this game and went, no. <laughs> All right. Next up. Next up, we have a game. Okay, this one, this one is actually a reasonably obscure game. There is a non-zero chance that Jeb knows this game because Jeb knows his shit, but uh, I'm pretty sure Fox doesn't have a good chance of knowing this. So this I is more just- I don't know any shit, apparently. Um, She's got this. Yeah. Um, this got is a game this. that was co- This is a first-person platform video game developed by Exact and Ultra, published by Sony. It was on the PlayStation 1, and in it, you play- Jumping Flash. <sighs> Fuck me! Ah, <laughs> uh, I do know this one. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. It's, um, the people who made this made just amazing games, technically, and they also made that Ghost in the Shell yeah, made, PS1 game. They made the PS1 Astonishingly Ghost good. Yeah, yeah. Um, Jumping Flash, the listener, is a game where you play a giant mecha rabbit capable of leaping hundreds of times your height off the ground. Right. <laughs> I'm bladed, well, but I have jump. seen the speedruns. It's a Robert. <laughs> uh, it had two sequels, you Jumping can get Flash a triple 2. Jump, but when you, when you, the important thing is, when you do a triple jump in Jumping Flash, it does something that 
most other first-person platforming games never think of doing. It turns your camera so you look at your feet so you can see where you're going to land. What? That's crazy talk. Get this. It spawned two sequels, Jumping Flash 2 and Robert Mondieu. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. <laughs> it's it's really hard to say things about this game because I don't know much about it beyond this resurgence since 2009 of people saying, "How the fuck did we miss this? This is a really smart game." Next I don't up, no smart's the right term. <laughs> it is unique. It's unique. Next up, we have a game that was released in Japan in the PAL region and not in North America where the protagonists of the game are on the cover shown holding explosives riding around on brightly coloured kangaroo dogs. What the fuck is a kangaroo dog? It's a kangaroo with a dog's face. So it's probably a kangaroo drawn by someone who doesn't know what a kangaroo looks like. I don't know what game. Only released in PAL, you say? Yep. Would have had characters riding kangaroos Tied with dynamite. Tiger? <laughs> Super Bomberman 3. Had kangaroos, wow. They're oh. not in the game, they're just on the cover. Oh, just oh, on the cover, okay. Those are called... Did those they make called, us a... Sp- those, those, those creatures are called... Can't remember what they're fucking called. But... So they're not just the world's ugliest kangaroos. They are, in fact, a they're adorable. No, they're they, they are they are a thing. They are an actual creature for the game. For the oh yes, for the they Bomber are. They're universe. In, yeah, they're in the screenshots. Also, and for this the is... description of it, I thought it was just statement. It's a deeply condescending PAL region cover. <laughs> How do we get the Australians to buy Bomberman? <laughs> kangaroos. This game is featuring. This features a plot that's about the resurrection of the five dastardly bombers. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to no-sell that, but I couldn't. It just no. caught up with me. <clears throat> Speaking of catching yeah, up... before Bomberman turned to Pokemon, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Speaking of catching up, we have a, we have a point-and-click adventure oh, game. I wanted you to show me the dog thing. Sorry. Uh, a point-and-click adventure game. Is it Loom? It's not Loom. He said it would never be Loom! Against by LucasArts. And it is about catching up with someone. I, I saw talent screen, so I'm not really allowed to guess at this. Yeah, you're not. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of attribution that the. You know what? I'm just going to babble about how much I love this game in particular. Um, you know what? This may have come up last week. Full when, throttle. Yeah, it's full throttle. <laughs> when Talon said the best point and click adventure game yeah. they ever made. I I fucking love this game, by the way. Just because I think the Sam and Max is a better game doesn't mean I don't fucking love full throttle. Sam and Max is this weird, wonderfully quirky uh, exploration of American culture in this very slow, marinating way. Like, you go around and you interact with these doofy parodies of things that actually exist in America. Full Throttle is... It's an action movie. It is... You you can probably, the first time you play Full Throttle, assuming you don't get too stuck on any of the problem points, you probably can finish Full Throttle the first time you play it in about three hours. It is a big, loud, chunky adventure game, as opposed to the more fiddly kind of thing that you got with Day of the Tentacle and Sam and Max. I do like when LucasArts decided to just make some short adventure games. Mm. Like, they don't need to be long. Let's just make them really, really good. Mm. Um, also, if anyone out there is a voice acting nerd um the uh full throttle features the voice talents of roy conrad hamilton camp kath susi and mark hamill so yeah yeah um sadly sadly roy conrad (laughs) has passed away how did they get mark hamill to be in a game they must have had some kind of contact or something (laughs) i to be fair mark hamill has been in the mark hamill has been in the fucking around stage of his career since he turned 30 (laughs) But um, the thing about Kath Susi, Maureen, 
who has that 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 gravelly serious voice and she and she has a super familiar name i know i've seen her in yeah her and she's got she's got a really cool voice and she's kind of like she she may have defined a lot of things for me when i was young <laughs> all right fucking 12 year old talon listened very intently to her lines yeah she was also one of the one of the villains in Gem. She was Dexter's mum in Dexter's laboratory. She was Linker in Captain Planet. She was Phil Lil and Betty Deville in Rugrats. She was Lola ah. Bunny in Space Jam, and she was Sally Acorn in Sonic the Hedgehog. That would be where I know her from. Yeah, I really fucking love this game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, with a few exceptions. Yeah. She's one of those actors who is normally allowed to use her real voice when she does a voice role. Yeah. I mean, with the exception of Rograts, obviously. <clears throat> Jumping over a couple of 32X and 3DO titles, because I've got no idea what to say about that! I know some 32X stuff. I don't! Yeah. Um, Hit me up. Hit me up. <laughs> Alright, tell you what, I'll just give you the names of these games, and if you could tell me a damn thing about them, that's a prize. Yay! Um, Shadow Squadron. Nope. <laughs> Didn't think so. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the 32X. It was apparently also sold as Stellar Assault. Um, Light Crusader. This does remind this me we were going to do a 3-0? game. Uh, no, this was... Sorry, my bad. This was a Genesis game. It does remind me that we were going <laughs> to play a game where we were all bet on how terrible we thought a game was going to be based on its <laughs> Yeah. Because, we, you know, we've hit a generic patch is all I'm Light saying. Light Crusader must suck. Yeah. I, Light Crusader I, must suck. Well, here's, here's... How about this? There was a SNES game that was a tie-in for a kid's cartoon game, which was an attempt to recapture the He-Man uh, style of um, thing with Power Rangers as well. And it was based on Arthurian... Huge finger quotes. Based on Arthur Arthurian... Arthur and the Knights of Justice. They yes. heard of Arthurian legends. King Arthur and the Knights of Justice. Arthur which and the Knights forces. of Justice. That, Jeff. that show owned... <laughs> that show had horses let me that tell transformed you. into ballista. About, let me tell you about Arthur King of the New York Knights football team. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nope, not gonna. <laughs> no, that's not fair. You can share. I they just all wanted before... had, once they got once they got transported back to Arthurian England because that's a thing that happened. They got turned into actual knights. But not just any knights. The Knights of Justice had icons on on the chest of their armor that gave them special powers. Like one yep. of the offensive linemen, you know, one of the people who block for the quarterback, he had a brick wall on his <laughs> Thank icon you for explaining on what his chest. Linesman is and so he could, he could <laughs> activate the icon on his chest and and project <laughs> a brick wall in front of him. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the I... thing about this game hmm? this game has a wikipedia page as do all things all right <laughs> more or less but when you go to the plot section of the game it has see also <laughs> king arthur and the knights of justice expanded plot yeah. there is a wikipedia page just for the plot of this fucking game <laughs> Oh, no. The game uh, playstyle was designed to be an homage to Legend of Zelda with activated abilities from each of the 12 knights who you could all unlock and play. It was published by Enix. It's honest to God, 
This game looks like a pretty damn good game. Sounding less and less like the heap of burning garbage that it ought to be. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> I, I'll tell you something about <laughs> Arthurian legends. Yeah? They full-on pinched it from the Welsh. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's entirely Welsh to begin with. So, next time you see a dignified King Arthur story with a bunch of dignified, posh-sounding British people standing around, I want you to imagine them all speaking with Welsh accents instead. Also, no shirts. <laughs> Okay. That, that, that I was, think Talon's just doing that for fun. No, that, that was a thing for the Welsh Welsh kings also, for a while also there. American, also American football players. Yeah, American football players. Um, the important thing is the Welsh accents. All right, so you, uh, <laughs> you the, the US release of a game that had been asked for for quite some time, it came with a giant fucking book. It's generally heralded as kind of... A high watermark for the JRPG genre in general. I uh, and you know Chrono Trigger was released. This came out the year for Chrono Trigger was released, and it's not Chrono Trigger. Um, and it's not a Final Fantasy. It's by HAL Laboratory and Ape. Oh, well, I was gonna say Seiken Densetsu, but that's not HAL or Ape. The producer is Satoru Iwata. Personally, he stayed up late at night translating chunks of the game to get it Earthbound. finished. Yeah, yeah, it's Earthbound. I. I feel like saying anything about Earthbound would be kind of redundant at this point. I, what's weird is that I thought Earthbound, but then I thought that's not really a JRPG. <laughs> it's so different. Fair. It it practically stands alone. Yeah. Next up, we have. You know what? Fuck it. There's a Street Fighter. All right. There's another Street Fighter. There's always a goddamn Street Fighter in the nineties. Hey Jeb, do you know which one it is? There's a Street yeah. Fighter too, right? Um, it's the uh, actual Street Wait. Wait, Street Street Fighter 2 Turbo Championship Edition. No, Street Fighter Alpha Warrior's Dreams. Fuck. <laughs> Fucking, oh, I don't... It's not Street Fighter 2. I, I could not tell you what makes this one different without just reading the Wikipedia page at you. <laughs> I think Alpha is the name of a mechanic uh, what, or something, what's, isn't what's it? The, I think the Alpha games are the ones that use 3D... Uh, pre-rendered 3D sprites. I don't... Think so, but I don't know. No, I've seen one of them played. I don't think that's those ones. But yeah, um, I don't know. I've never. You are talking about a dense canon. It, it's not. Sure, there's sure. no shame in not being able to pick out one from the crowd. So that's a Mega Drive one. Uh, that was an arcade cabinet one. Ah. Um, for the CP yeah. System Two hardware. Sure. Fuck off, I know. Yeah. Uh, well, if it ain't a Neo Geo, I have no idea what it is when it comes to arcade. Alright, so here's, here is a potentially obscure PC game by, which was the first self-published game by Looking Glass Technologies. Alright, now, if Looking Glass... Obscure by Looking Glass. Yeah, as in it wasn't, it wasn't the stuff that Looking Glass did that everyone knows for, knows them for. Um... This is after they developed Ultima Underworld, the Stygian Abyss, and after they developed John Madden Football 93 under the name Blue Sky Productions. And this is before they developed Thief the Dark Project, System Shock 2, Thief to the Metal Age, Jane's Attack Squadron, Destruction Derby 64. Uh, this is after they developed System Shock 2. The Ultima guys made that? Yes! They made John fucking Madden! Yeah! Also, they made British Open Championship Golf, because you do what you do to put the put the <laughs> lights on, you know? I love they used another name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, but uh, this was when they were Looking Glass Technologies. This is the first game they entirely self-published. The first game where they did everything themselves. Um, I'm sure I have zero idea. 
<clears throat> this is a game that was at the time briefly criticized by some people for lacking in enemies to fight or a stated goals to do. This is a game you boot it up and you can do what you want freely, but there's no conflict or interaction. It's just the challenge of doing the things. Some of the things you can do include a tail slide, a lomshemvac, and immelman. I let oh yeah, I don't know how to pronounce lomshemvac. No, like, well, it's a, it's a flight sim game. Yes, it but is. I can't remember which one it is. Yeah. Damn it. I think I actually had it on a demo CD at some point. It's a Jane's game? No, it's not a Jane's game. It's a game called Flight Unlimited. But Flight Unlimited was so huh. good, Jane's contacted Looking Glass and said, Hey, do you want to make Jane's games for us? <laughs> cool. Okay. Yeah. I knew it had something to do with the Jane series. And the guy who was responsible for the Flight Unlimited's core engine, the, the, the guy who made the whole thing tick, was fired shortly after the release of the game because apparently he was a bit of a chode, and he went on to design Jurassic Park Trespasser. Trespasser. A game that still <laughs> can't run at maximum detail. <laughs> Trespasser is, is a fascinating study. <laughs> it's a fascinating Yay. study. It, it really is amazing. You'll notice I'm not saying it's a good game. <laughs> I, I did it's notice a fascinating that. study. Yeah. Yeah. Flight Unlimited was noteworthy for having a... Sorry, Flight Unlimited was... No, no, sorry. Flight Unlimited was very notable for having a engine that could handle being scaled down really far. Flight Unlimited would run on a 386... The sky would have no texture, your plane would have no texture, the ground would have no texture, but you could still play it and it would be smooth. And the game would fly and respond and work. It was a really notable, nice game. If all you wanted to do was get in a plane and fly a plane. How actual pilots fly planes. <laughs> you know, it was a very good representation of how planes worked. That is pretty rad. Mm -hmm. Next up, we have a Japanese game developed by a group called Art Dink. <laughs> I know nothing about <laughs> Wikipedia doesn't know much about this game. But I've heard about Art Dink from uh, from watching your pals. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know anything about a game called Aquanauts Holiday? Different... No. This I is a game where you re... I will have to ask the retro pals. Uh Aquanauts Holiday is a game where you are building a coral reef. Except you're building a coral reef in roughly <laughs> the speed that you build a coral reef. So so this game takes 14 years to play? Uh, it's apparently very, very slow, but if you like to, um, if you like to just drift around underwater and explore and, and say hi to fishes, this is a game that exists. I do like that. It was lambasted at the time by critics for lacking in conflict. <laughs> All right. Man, I'm a sensing a theme. All right. Now we have a game that I am, I can guarantee, um, Fox doesn't know because this game was primarily released in China. Damn, I missed the chance to say, it's not really a game. It's more of an activity. <laughs> um, this is a game that was released in China as Chinese Paladin. <laughs> Go figure. Um, sure. Created by a man, I think, actually, I don't, I can't gender this name, and I, I just realized I did without knowing what I was talking about. But the creator is Yao Zhongjiang, which for all I know is a fucking pseudonym. Uh, it was released in nineteen. It was released in nineteen ninety five. It has the name "The Legend of Sword and Fairy" Keen. in English, which is right. amazing. And the development team for it was Soft Stars Crazy Boys. <laughs> That's the name of the company. What about Crazy Stars Soft Boys? That's a yeah. real good name. <laughs> but here's the thing: this one game in nineteen ninety five, Legend of Sword and Fairy, is responsible for spinning off 
New Legend of Sword and Fairy, Legend of Sword and Fairy 2, Chinese Paladin 3, Chinese Paladin 3, <gasps> Gaiden, Wen Kuing Pan, Chinese Paladin 4, Legend of Sword and Fairy 5, Legend of Sword and Fairy 5, Prequel, Chinese Paladin 6, Paladins in a business simulation game, Chinese Paladin <laughs> Online, an MMORPG, New Legend of Sword and Fairy Online, a different MMORPG, Paladins in SNS, a browser business simulation game, The Legend of Sword and Fairy Mirror Evolution 2016, an action RPG for the iOS and Android, Chinese Paladin Zhao Yu Yu, a card game, Chinese Paladin 2005, a TV series, Chinese Paladin 3 2009, another different TV series, Zhanjin Kijan Zhanjin In, a live action web mini series. <laughs> Good. Oh my God. Wow, like so did okay for yourself. This sounds like people gave a shit. Yeah. I go go you Chinese Paladin franchise. But I will also add pick a goddamn title. <laughs> hmm. Next up, we have a a platform adventure video game developed by Konami for the PC Engine Super CD-ROM system. Huh. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, it is set in the fictional universe of the Castlevania series, but I, I find it notable that they didn't want to say it's a Castlevania game. Right. Um, it was released on... It, it was released in Japan on October 29, 1993, and in English in 1995, after its... Se- uh, in, in preparation for its sequel, which was re- going to be released in 1997. And its sequel is generally regarded as one of the most important Castlevanias that exist. So this is the one that came before Symphony Night. Yes, it is! Yes, it is! This is the one that introduces... Uh, the grotesquely overpowered character uh, that wound up becoming an, uh, an unlockable character in a bunch of other Castlevanias. Ooh. Ah, uh, no. So but, this is um, Castlevania 3? Thing. He's got a uh, oh, jump sorry. dash thing or some shit, Yeah, right? he's not introduced in this one. My bad. You do play him, though. It's not. It's Richter. No. It is Richter. Yes. I should have more confidence oh, right. in myself. Yeah, this is this is Castlevania Rondo of Blood. Okay, Which that's, a, kind that's of, a generally well-regarded Castlevania game. Yeah. Um, but it was written for what? <laughs> the PC Engine. Like, I thought I'd met this game on the SNES. PC Engine Super CD-ROM system. This is a PC um, fucking yeah. Castlevania. Um, PC Engine. Not yeah. PC. PC Engine. Sorry, yeah. it's PC, PC Engine Super, C- Super CD-ROM system, which plugs into the TurboGrafx-16, apparently. <laughs> I don't know. Yep. This is a fucking. It was the PC Engine, right? There is a fucking rabbit warren of links of of conflicting terminology here. So I'm just going to move on to a vehicle simulation game developed and released by Activision as part of a well-established tabletop role-playing game franchise. Ported to a variety of formats and platforms, it had a bunch of sequels. It lives in copyright hell now because the companies involved in its production all variously dissolved. Is this an early 40k game? No. No, not 40k. Um, a much more bright and happy universe than 40k, but that's saying nothing. Um, this is about... In tabletop games. In tabletop games, where vehicles are super important. But so are clans. Oh, oh, uh, is this a Blood Bowl game? No, not Blood Bowl. Ah. 
This is Battletech. You're in the right universe there, Jeb. So what's set in Battletech? Battletech games? MechWarrior. <laughs> MechWarrior. Yeah, MechWarrior. Oh, right. Yeah, Battletech's not the name, but yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, MechWarrior 2 31st Century Combat came out in um, 1995. Um, the best one. And it's bright Pretty and happy, much. is it? Brighter and happier than Warhammer 40k? I feel like I was slightly misled, but yeah. I, I apologize for the yeah, confusion. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was intentionally misleading. I mean, shit. <laughs> Uh, but yes, also the expansion pack Ghost Bears Legacy, which lets you, <laughs> which lets you pilot around a specially modified Kodiak with a jump jet, which is fucking hilarious because a Kodiak is basically a building. <laughs> what the fuck is that jump jet running on? Nuclear fusion? <laughs> Probably. It's fucking yes. battle mechas. In what universe would it make sense? All right. Now we're, it's 1995. If I told you a fight game that wound up becoming a bit of a big deal came out, what would you possibly guess? <laughs> a 2D fight game, then. <laughs> Aww, I thought it was Tekken as well. No. No, this game was an arcade filler. This game had... Um, this game was so popular in Japan, they had ranges of flyers that that arcades would distribute to make sure you they you knew they had this game. Is it Street Fighter 2 this time? Nope. And kids collected the flyers. You can now buy collections of these flyers from uh, Japan that are uh, collector's items. Um, King of Fighters? Yeah, King of Fighters 95. Oh. Yeah. The, when, sure, they went, sure. when they went, hey, this 94 thing did really well. Fuck, uh, what What do we do now? Do it again. <laughs> and Shit. Bigger? Yes, brilliant. <laughs> they worked out a formula. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I, I didn't know that it that it filled arcades all that well, to be honest. Ridiculously so. Ridiculously so. I guess because it was never that big here, it often feels like it was just always playing second fiddle to Street Fighter. But Yeah. Um, this is also the first game to feature Yori Yagami. Right. Mm-hmm. So they went all in. The next game I the next game in this list just takes you to a page of list of Dragon Ball video games. It is an article <laughs> that is 10,000 words long. My but thesis is 22,000, so <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not I'm not searching for which one. <clears throat> we have a game developed by um well, you know what? We have a full motion video game developed by a woman. Ugh. Is this Phantasmagoria? It's Phantasmagoria. <laughs> So much for the misdirection. Uh, <laughs> I, for one, am heartily impressed that Roberta Williams got all these people to finance her making her dirty fan fiction. I know. That there's just a certain back and forth of like, yeah, you know, let's let's get creative control for women and show them that we don't just want creepy, rapey narratives about girls the whole time. Oh, you do, okay. All right, fine. Not all women. Now, um, notable, this game's original budget was eight hundred thousand dollars. Wow! Do, do you want to do you want to bet how well they sure stuck was. to that bu- budget? <laughs> oh, wow! Um, the game, like in '95, that's not a small budget. Nowadays, that's kind of ridiculous. The game but... cost four and a half million to make, and part of making it involved Sierra buying a one point five million dollars studio. <laughs> which Did they... this? Does this break some kind of record for the most expensive video game at this point? I don't know. Um, it doesn't mention here, uh, but they also wound up employing, amongst other things, the Foley team that Universal Studios outsourced to. And they thought uh, this was going to be so good. Yep, and and they uh, they got the Boston, the Boston National, sorry, the Boston City Choir to do Gregorian chanting. So yeah, 135 people. 
Anyway, moving on. Phantasmagoria is not very good. Next up. I, that, I mean, we did, in general, think that full motion video games were going to be just fucking amazing and blow people's minds and be the bestest thing, and just it was a terrible idea. I can think of one that I thought was pretty good, but that's the thing. It's, it's, it's pretty good. And that's Under a Killing Moon. Hmm. Like, Under a Killing Moon was pretty good. I wouldn't... Like, I wouldn't go out of my way to revitalize the technology to get more under a killing moon, but... I do not know it. I, what was the actual gameplay like? Uh, it was a first... You were, it was a first-person adventure game where you're wandering around a city as a hard-boiled noir detective in a cyberpunk dystopia, um, and one of the actors is Carrie Fisher, who at one point refers to herself as off her meds. Uh, under a killing moon is... It's pretty good. Okay. Um, it's got a good sense of humor. Anyway, next up, we have a spin-off Mario game! It's really good, and it's really cute, and it has one of the most annoying fail states in all video games. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, dear. Produced by Miyamoto. Uh, Koji Kondo was the composer. Yeah, I I love this game to bits. God, no wonder I love the Yoshi's Island music. (laughs) He's the Zelda guy. Yeah, he is. That's why I mentioned him. Damn. Yeah, um... And I haven't actually seen the credits, but I will place my bets now on who does not appear in New Yoshi's Island. <laughs> Wait, no, it's Yoshi's Island DS? The, the DS one that was a strictly inferior Yoshi's Island. Yeah. Um, we have the arrival of the RTS on the PC. Oh, that's supposed to be Dune, but it's not. It's something else, although. Okay, correction. We have arrival of the modern RTS following in the heels of Dune 2. Oh, um... Uh, Command & Conquer. Yeah, it's Command & Conquer. Oh, wow. I didn't know the first Command & Conquer was that long ago. Get this. This is the first appearance of this thing. This is a long-running franchise. Um, This game included King's Bounty as a free game on the CD. (laughs) Um, Heroes of Might and Magic. Yes. Heroes of Might and Magic, a strategic quest, which was the first time they went hey, let's make this turn-based tactical RPG thing, and they accidentally created one of the greatest franchises on the PC. Hey, hey, I lost a lot of time to Heroes of Might and Magic. It's turn-based? Oh, I thought it was an RTS as well. No. Uh, we have we have at the time the most expensive video game ever made, because it employed a whole bunch of high-level Hollywood actors and a whole bunch of studio production and a lot of full motion video and it was also a shooty flyy space game. Wing Commander Wing Commander Four, the Price of Freedom, which the one with John Rhys Davies. Fuck. Uh, no, Four Four does not have J does not have John Rhys Davies, but it does have like most of the same fucking cast. It's the again the fucking around. I'm not stage implying that John Rhys Davies would cost you a lot. <laughs> Um, uh, Jeb's mentioned this one a couple of times. It's a 3D puncher, but it's the sequel to the one that he keeps mentioning. Oh, no, it's Tekken. It's Tekken 2. Yeah. Yeah, Tekken 2 came out in, uh, came out in, whatchamacallit, um, fucking arcades. Um, this game is a tactical role-playing game created by Quest, which I really only find remarkable because of its, its tagline. Well, it's, it's, it's sequel name, as it were. Mm -hmm. Um, it's part of a well-established franchise, which it's Tactics Ogre. We don't have like a lot of frame of reference for that. But this one is called Tactics Ogre. Let us cling together. I've heard that name before. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know anything about this game. It's a sequel to Ogre Battle. <laughs> yeah, that's all I got. Hey, Jeb. Yeah? A game called The Creation of Heaven and Earth in Japan. 
1995 action role-playing game on the SNES, developed by Quintet. Uh, manga artist Kamui Fujiwara. I think, I, with... think, I honestly think that Fox could probably guess this one. Yep. Um, yeah, this this artist is behind, amongst other things, the Dragon Quest games. Uh, sorry, Dragon Quest Warriors and Dragon Quest Resident, specifically. No, it's not Toriyama? It's not Toriyama. Um, but uh, this is an action RPG. The game has never been officially released in North America. Tells the story of Earth's resurrection by the hands oh. of a boy named Ark and its progress from the evolution oh. of life to the present day. All right, no, I, I mean I had very little idea, oh. but that was that's Ark the Lad. No, no, this is Terranigma. That's Terranigma. Okay, I've never heard his name. Oh, sorry, I haven't played Terranigma. Oh, I've just seen you play it. <laughs> Terranigma kind of owns. I'm not good enough to finish it. <laughs> I I uh, came to Terranigma amidst a pile of. I don't know well, why you asked no. me that. I've never. Oh, my badness. Those games. I I definitely did not come to Terranigma in a pile of illegally pirated stress rom, uh, SNES ROMs because that would be a bad and wrong thing to do. <laughs> but if I had, it would have been after the point where I really had the time to spend on that kind of RPG. Second and Sets of 3 being an exception because we could play that together. Yeah. Um, hypothetically. Hypothetically. In a world where we did have pirated ROMs, but we didn't. We definitely didn't have pirated ROMs. Yeah. Uh, hmm. Uh, we have a Gabriel Knight full motion video game. Sure. <laughs> We're all the same. The, Slap a number on it. We're done here. The Beast Within. All right. We have one of the first game, one of the first video games where the writer gets credited on the front of the box. The writer in question is a dour and miserable fuck. All the work he produces is dour and miserable. It is one of the bleakest uh, point-and-click adventure games that ever got made. It is at the point oh. where its title is, is a commonly used metaphor. I have no mouth and I must scream. Yep, that's the one. That's the one. And uh, the voice of the horrible ro- the horrible AI okay, that wants uh, to torture uh, people. For- Go on, Jeb. Harlan Ellison. Yep, yep. The, the author decided to voice uh, the computer that okay, makes humanity. Okay, uh, listener. <laughs> the listener. The listener. Um... I'm at a bit of a uh, difficult position here because as a narrative video game, I have no mouth and I must scream is excellent. However, you should not play it. Yep. That's kind of what I was going to say. Oh boy. All the content warnings. All of them. I, yeah. I've only caught glimpses of this and that was like, alrighty, I'm not going to play that. Thanks, Alan. Just, just watch, just go, just, just, <sighs> just, uh, just go on YouTube, watch Am's speech as narrated by Harlan Ellison. <laughs> yeah. And that's all you need. All right. Now, this one I know is a pitch straight to Jeb. It's a first person shooter on the Macintosh. Marathon. Yes, Marathon 2, Durandal, which I believe is the one where we get the quote that I love so very much. I was going to say, that one what came before Halo. Yeah, you, <laughs> you'd be absolutely right. So people who actually like Marathon would be very cross at me. Speaking of point-and-click adventure games, which have a, some remarkable talents involved, this is one written by Orson Scott Card. The Dig. The Dig, yes. Uh, Orson Scott Card, very talented science fiction author, gross homophobe, fuck that guy. Moving on, we have a revitalization of the freeware game Scorched Earth, which added personality and comedy and funny voices. Just want to say, um, when you were pitching for uh, I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream, yeah. I was thinking Orson Scott Card at first, but then I thought, <laughs> no, you would have called him a shitheel by now. <laughs> 
And yes, that was Worms. Worms! Super fun game. Loved it. Next up, we British have British voices are definitely the best. We have a Konami release based on based loosely on the Chinese novel Shui Hu Zhuan. Features a vast array of characters, both controllable and not, with over 90 characters, characters usable in combat and many more to help or hinder the hero in a variety of ways. Characters! Yes. This is not the sequel, but this is still one of the ones that got really fucking expensive. Um, this is a PlayStation 1 sprite JRPG when they realized, hey, we could just fill this with all the content because we've got 400 meg of storage space, don't we? Uh, does... This one have horrible, realistic nope. human characters on the nope. camera? No? Nope. Okay. This one's got really no. nice anime-style art. No. no. Sorry, sorry. Does, it's a sweet coding. Are you looking at the US cover? No, I'm looking at the Japanese cover. Because that has horrifying, oh. horrifying drawings. Oh, no. It's it's not even funny like Fat Mega Man is funny. <laughs> it's... Hey, Fat Mega Man is my okay Cupid profile name. It's more depressing, like Warriors of the Wind is depressing. Oh no. Yeah. But yes, it's it's Sir Codan, which maybe is kind of one of the best games of its genre again in nine. What the fuck was going on in nineteen ninety five? Come on, different Sweet Coden. I'm mixing up Sweet Coden and Sweet Coden Two, aren't I? Uh, it. I mean, it was popular. It wasn't massively acclaimed the same way that Two was. Yeah, my bad. It's a good game, but it's very sort of straightforward. There's not a lot of weird or exciting stuff to it. The sheer number of characters is pretty amazing, but. Mm hmm. I'm also wondering why they went with over 90, since we sort of know there's 108. <laughs> Next up, and lastly, we have a game by From Software in 1995. The game place takes, takes place on the Isle of Melanat. The player takes the role of a Grantiki Prince Aleph, alternatively named Aleph and Alexander, who has taken it upon himself as one of the kings of Verdite's closest friends to retrieve a holy sword known as the Moonlight Sword and return it to King Alfred as the king of the Kingdom of Verdite. Alexander is washed up on the coast as the sole survivor after the ship he came with sank into the ocean. To find the sword, he must press ever forward and uncover the secrets the Dark Island holds. Ah, Adventure Island! <laughs> Kingsfield sucks. Kingsfield yeah, sucks. Yeah, Kingsfield... Kingsfield 2 <laughs> sucks. But, good news, in English, this is Kingsfield 1. <laughs> well, that fixes everything? <laughs> yeah. The only thing I know about Kingsfield that I like is that you get well, out of when, when, <laughs> when you get out of the shipwreck and you're like, okay, now what? You turn around and if you try to walk back into the ocean, a giant octopus eats you. <laughs> That's their way of going. No, turn <laughs> Fuck around. Fuck you, play the game. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I know about it. And this is with a whole bunch of stuff jumped because I didn't have anything useful to say about it and we've been going for 90 minutes. <laughs> so, yeah, 1995. Yeah. Big year. Yeah. Just just so many good games. Good year. Yeah. Whew. Ah. Now, we've all, we've all done our, our retro gaming news reps. We've, we've, we've all exercised. Now it's time to cool down and sign out and say goodbye. So, thank you very much, the listener, yeah, for putting podcast, up with right? us. Oh yeah, has anyone got an intro ready? Well, you, none of you introduced me. Yeah, Jeb yeah, did. Fuck it, that'll you didn't do. notice it. Yeah, fuck it, I that'll did. do. Yeah, Jeb. What was that? You missed it. I missed it because you were talking over it like a butt. Not my fault. We have a time delay. <laughs> <laughs> 
this is like ham radio in that everyone on it's a ham <laughs> no um <clears throat> thank you very much for all your support on patreon and by sharing our podcast on twitter and whatnot friends of the show um we very much appreciate it and we would we we look forward to being able to make more stuff for you if you want to support us on patreon that's lovely if you don't that's okay too anyway and if you would like to support us but you can't necessarily afford to put money into a patreon just say friends to listen to us yeah bully them i mean like getting shared is one of the most helpful things you can do for any for any media threats are good threats are really no (laughs) that is not what i said hold them down Mm. You anyway, guys have made this into something terrible. <laughs> Headphones to their ears. That look, was Jeb. Look, hold your friends hostage is what we're saying. <laughs> Stockholm podcasts. <laughs> that was Jeb. That was Fox. And that was a complete corruption of my innocent and enthusiastic <laughs> suggestion. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> but- Toodles. Toodles. <laughs>